God is good. All the time. You ever, wonder, you ever wonder what heaven's going to be like? I have people ask me questions about heaven. They say, well, we know each other in heaven. They say, you know, what's it going to be like? Will there be streets of gold, people ask me. Or they ask me, um, will we get to go fishing up there? Or will we play golf in heaven? You ever wonder things like that? In answer, uh, in order, my answers are uh, Yes, yes, and pr- probably not, because golf makes us very unhappy when we play, so we probably wouldn't want to do that in heaven, unless you're really, really good, which I'm not. But when I think about heaven, I think about this service this morning. In fact, I think this gives us a picture of heaven. Let me show it to you in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. This is a picture of heaven. This is what John saw. He said, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So that's what heaven's going to be like. Heaven's going to be worship. Not, not like a sermon, right? Um, not a sermon. Anybody excited about that? No sermons in heaven? Because we already know. Um, can I get an amen? Yeah, go easy, go easy, because this is what I do. But, but in heaven, we won't need to do this anymore because we'll all know as we are known. But what will happen in heaven is people from everywhere in the world will say together, salvation belongs to Not your God or my God or their God, but our God. Now, how do people come to that place? Let me show you in God's Word. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. We'll also read verses 46 to 52. Let's stand together in reverence for our God and His Word today. A church for all people. You ever been to a church for all people? This is your first time here. You have arrived. This is a church for all people because God has brought us together in this place. We've been studying the book of Acts together and especially a church that began to minister not just to the Jewish people but also to Gentiles. And it's interesting that God built a leadership team there and gave them a very special mission which continues to this day. So let's hear the word of the Lord together today. Acts chapter 13 verse 1 says, Now... In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And then we pick up the story in verse 46 after uh, he's been ministering to the Jews and some of the Jewish people, many of them get saved, but some of them say, we don't want to hear this anymore. And so Paul, he looks back into his memory of the Scripture in Isaiah chapter 49 and realizes what his mission is. So hear the word of the Lord, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. 
I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook off the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please, please be seated. One of my favorite churches in the New Testament is the church in Antioch because Antioch is the first place that the disciples were called Christians. They were so much like Jesus that they said these are Christianos, they are are like little Christs. And they acknowledged that about them and we may wonder, so what was it about those believers in Antioch that made people who saw them think about Jesus Christ? One of the things we notice about that church is that it was wonderfully inclusive. To this point, the church has been completely composed of people who have a Jewish heritage. And they might have been from different parts of the world, but for the most part, all Jews to this point. But then in Acts chapter 11, some of those who were forced out of Jerusalem by persecution began to speak the word to Gentiles, non-Jews as well. And when they did, the Gentiles believed and they formed a church. And in this passage, we get another snapshot of the life of that church. It's a little bit later. They've been together for some time now. And God has given them a leadership group of prophets and teachers. So people who preach and teach God's Word, who bring a word from God. And this group of of leaders is remarkably diverse. I don't know if you saw it when I was reading it to you, but two of them, we believe, were from northern Africa. So uh, Simeon of, of Cyrene and Lucius uh, Lucius called Niger, and these are men we believe from, from North Africa. Then you've got uh, Barnabas, who is a Cypriot. He's from the island of, of Cyprus. And then you have Saul, who's a Tarsian, or whatever you call people from Tarsus. And then there's Manaean, who grew up in Jerusalem. And he's connected somehow with the, the family of Herod. He grew up with, with Herod's family. So what we've got is a group of people who are politically, economically, religiously diverse, ethnically diverse, and they've come together, and this is the leadership team, and they spend their time worshiping and fasting and praying, and when they're doing that, God speaks to them and says, so we want you to send Saul and Barnabas out to the work that I have called them to do. And Saul and Barnabas go, and we call this the first missionary journey, and some amazing things happen on this journey. At one point, When they do a miracle, they're so popular that they want to worship them and they're falling down before them and they're convinced that that they're gods. And they say, no, don't do that. They tear their clothes and say, don't worship us. And then in the very next verse, they try to stone them to death. So they go through some crazy and amazing things on this journey. But eventually there comes a moment when they realize we've been ministering to the Jewish people And not all Jewish people, because many Jewish people received Christ, but some were were really pushing back hard and they said, you know what, maybe the Gentiles want to hear the word of the Lord. And they began to preach to them and the Gentiles believed. And what I want you to see is that when the Gentiles found out that the gospel, the good news was available to them, they were very, very glad. And then 
as they began to believe, the disciples who were telling them the good news were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. When I read this, I realized, so God in heaven is so full of joy that He couldn't keep it to Himself. So think about our God as the sending God. He sends His Son who sends the Holy Spirit who sends us. So so God's work became Christ's work as He was here on earth. And Christ's work is our work. And the secret to fullness of joy in our lives is not only to trust the truth about Jesus Christ, but to tell that truth to all people so that their joy will rebound to us and we will be filled with joy as well. The good news is that the good news of Jesus Christ brings gladness to everybody who trusts the truth. So we see this in this story as it unfolds as he's as he's teaching them and he's been preaching to the Jews and many Jewish people get saved but there comes a moment when they have this pushback and Paul remembers Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6. Do you know those verses 49, 6, and 7? Some of the most quoted verses from the Old Testament in the New Testament. He says it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, God spoke this through the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah was speaking to God's servant, who in this case is identified as Israel. So Israel's job is not just to bring back all the Israelites to God, but to bring the Gentiles along with them. And in some cases, there was that kind of ministry, but in some cases, they missed that ministry. And then we find when Jesus comes to the earth, a man named Simeon recognizes the Son of God. And Luke tells us in chapter 2, verses 30 to 32, that Simeon, just like we did recently dedicating babies, Simeon takes the Son of God in his hands and lifts him up and says, you are a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Simeon quotes Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6. So get this, God gives this job to Israel in the Old Testament. Then when Jesus is born, it becomes his work. And what we see Luke telling us is when when Saul recognizes the need to share with the Gentiles, Saul says, so God's work, which was Jesus' work, is now our work. And our work is to bring joy to all peoples by telling them the good news that they can receive Christ as their Savior and Lord. So for all this time before, the Gentiles have kind of been on the outside looking in. You know what that feels like? You ever been out on a baseball field and they're choosing teams to play baseball or kickball or basketball and and you're there's 13 and they and you're the last one and you don't that you don't get picked. You're on the outside looking in. John Ortberg says if you've ever flown economy, most of us have flown economy on a plane, you know what that's like because there's the first class section and you get to walk through it on the way back to your seat in economy class. Well, what difference does it make? Everybody's sitting in a seat, right? You're all flying. You all get to the same destination except the eight people in the front have two bathrooms all to themselves. And the 200 people behind the curtains that they close Most of them are children who've been drinking monster drinks all morning. And the 200 back there, John Ortberg says, they get to share two bathrooms at the back. And even you'll find that the um, attendants, the flight attendants, will make an announcement and say, 
you're not welcome beyond this line. But then there came a point with security, they couldn't close the curtains anymore, but they said, but don't anybody dare cross this line because you are back here, your economy, but they're first class. And then John Ortberg says, let those curtains stand for our own fallen humanity that makes us want to exclude other people. And you know what it's like to be excluded if you've ever been excluded, if you've ever been on the outside looking in. So what would it like to be, what would it be like to be included? Well, it says when these Gentiles heard that the gospel was going to be available to them as well, it says they were filled with gladness. Well, I bet they were to really realize now we don't have to be on the outside looking in. God's love is also for us. Imagine what that's like. One of my favorite professors in college was a guy named Jim Vardam, and he was an amazing uh, history professor. And, and years after he was my teacher, I took every class I could take with him. And then years later, I was at a big banquet uh, up, up in, the, in that uh, university, and we were there eating supper. And can you imagine my joy when they gave me my little tag at the table I was going to sit at, and they seated me right next to him. Now, he was older now. He was not in good health. He wore slippers. I remember that. He was wearing his slippers just like, you know, his house slippers, and he comes and he sits down beside me at the table, and we begin to talk, and I shared some of my story with him, and then he began to tell his story to me, and he said, when I was a little boy, I lived outside of Dallas about five miles, but my mother loved First Baptist Church of Dallas. George W. Truett was the preacher, and she loved George W. Truett, and we, we had lots of churches close to our house, but my mom said, no, we're all going there. She named my oldest brother George Truett Vardaman. That's how much she liked that church. So every Wednesday night, we would walk five miles uphill in the snow in Dallas, and we would get there to the church, but we would have to stand in the shadows because everybody was eating the Wednesday night meal, but we didn't have money for the Wednesday night meal. So mom gave us a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before we left. We ate along the way, and we'd get there to the church, and we would stand in the shade of the trees while everybody was finishing up the meal inside. But one day, my brother Jerry came running to me and said, hey, we're eating tonight. And I said, what are you talking about? Jim said, what are you talking about? He said, no, no, the pastor saw us and he invited us to come and sit at his table. And he said, that night the Vardaman children walked in together and we sat down at the table with the pastor. And for one glorious night, we all got to eat supper together. We had always been on the outside looking in and now we're on the inside. We are welcomed in. This is the message. No wonder the Gentiles were glad. And by the way, if you think the Gentiles in the Old Testament were glad, Think how glad we should be because for the most part, almost all of us are Gentiles. Unless we have Jewish ancestry, we're almost all Gentiles. And the good news is we've been included and that should bring us great gladness. And you would think that people who've been brought on the inside and have this great gladness would want to share that with everybody. But it turns out that we're not really wired that way. Maybe because we think the love of God is a zero sum. And if he loves us, maybe he can't love somebody else. Or if he loves them, maybe he can't love us. And so sometimes we get very exclusive. Maybe it's our xenophobia. We're afraid of the other. But the gospel should transform our xenophobia into what I call xenophilia. That is, it should take our fear of the stranger and, and transform it into love for the stranger because we were the strangers and we have been loved and included in God's kingdom. I remember Melanie and I saw this up close and personal for two and a half years. We had only one child. We had uh, Graham, our son, and 
you know, we love Graham and we had Graham and it was, you know, our world was like many of you who are first time parents who have one child, our world was kind of centered in Graham. And then, and then we found out when we moved to Austin, Melanie was expecting and, and we were going to have a, another son. And so we tried to prepare our son, right? So we bought a little book and the day that Chase was born, we, we uh, brought the book. We brought Graham up there to meet his new little brother and we opened up the book and the book talked about a family that had one child but then had another child and we read the book to him and he's listening, he's looking at the book and he's looking at Chase and he's looking at us and he's looking at the book and Chase and us and then, and then we finished the book and we're thinking things are going really well and we say, do you understand Graham? And he says, yes, but where are his mommy and daddy? And we're like, okay, he didn't get it. And imagine people who've been part of God's plan for their whole lives, but never share that good news with other people. So here's the, here's the good news. The good news of Jesus Christ not only brings gladness to those who trust in Christ, but the, the good news of Jesus Christ brings great joy to those who tell others about Christ. So verse 52 says... The disciples were filled with joy. Well, why were they filled with joy? Because there's no greater joy in the world than sharing good news. I mean, just think about the happiest thing that's ever happened in your life. The best news you've ever heard, whatever that was. I remember I was eight years old when my little brother Darren was born. And I couldn't wait to get off the school bus to, to run into the class to tell Mrs. Hergenrother that my little brother had been born. Because we've been waiting for him for nine months. And I told my buddy Jimmy McClellan on the bus. And Jimmy McClellan, when we got off the bus, he took off running. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go tell Mrs. Hergenrother. And so then I'm running. But unfortunately, Jimmy's faster than I am. And he goes in and tells Mrs. Hergenrother before I can. And I'm just so bummed about it. Because if you got good news, you want to share that good news. So I, I read Raleigh Washington this week. He said, if the angels in heaven rejoice, if the angels in heaven rejoice when one person becomes a believer in Jesus Christ, why should we be denied that same joy? We won't be denied that same joy if we are those who share. And it turns out God loves everybody in the world. He wants everybody to believe in Him. And He's entrusted that message to us. So look, it goes back. It's, it's Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, in His great commission saying to His disciples, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Me. You go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I want you to make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey all things that I've commanded. And I'm with you. It turns out God is with us. We're full of God and full of joy when we do what He's called us to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. After the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We've seen that in the book of Acts. But now the gospel through the Gentiles begins to extend to the ends of the earth. And if you think that area where they were ministering is the end of the earth, think about what they would have thought about where we live. We're all the way around the world from that part of the world. This is the amazing news that God's love includes us. And when we realize that, it's not something we want to keep to ourselves. It's something that we want to share with other people so that they also will be included in joy. And here's the really good news. When they experience the joy of receiving Christ, we'll experience even more joy. And it may be that we're missing out on joy because we're keeping it to ourselves. This is um, something I have learned through the years that we sometimes are afraid of other people 
In fact, some of our pastors uh, spoke at one of our pastors' conferences recently. We have wonderful pastors uh, in the early service. Rafat Fereg told about their ministry down in Central Asia this summer and the Syrian refugees who were coming to know Christ and leading other Syrian refugees to Christ. And he said, what can I do for you? And they said, could you give us a minivan? He said, what do you need a minivan for? And they said, well, there are, there are Muslims in our city who want to become followers of Christ, but they can't afford the bus fare. The, they can't afford uh, the subway cost to get to our church. But if we had a minivan, we could pick them up. And so Rafat Fareg and our Arabic congregation have raised $4,100 toward a goal of $6,500 to buy a minivan for Syrian refugees so they can pick up more people to come to church, to come to know Christ. Two men became Christians. Now they've led 60 other people, all of them formerly Muslims, have now become believers in Jesus Christ through that ministry. And when Rafat shared that with us, it was just amazing because the joy of seeing these people come to Christ has given him so much joy. And one of his members said, I don't have a lot of money, but here's $500 because I want to help them buy a minivan so that more people can become believers in Jesus Christ. Another one of our pastors, Tong Loon, Mong Tiak and Tong Loon are the pastors of our Burmese congregation. I've told you the story how it's grown from like, oh, 20 people to now they have 280, I think, last Sunday. They've planted seven other churches, all of this in the last 10 years. And Tong said to me, I have a concern. He spoke in our pastor's conference. He said, some of us are afraid that people coming to our country are going to want to hurt us. But if we lead them to Jesus Christ, they won't want to hurt us anymore. This is a strategy for reaching the world. Share the joy that we have so that they'll come to know that joy. And look, I know what it's like to be afraid of the other. When Melanie and I first got married, we lived in these apartments um, in, in college there. She was still in college and I was in seminary. And there were these old, old apartments called Spate Jenkins Apartments. And the walls were really thin. I remember that because my father-in-law tried to hang a mirror for us and he used the drill and he went right through into the other apartment. So we had to explain to our neighbors why there was all this dust on their floor and why there was a hole in the wall. And so we remember that, you know, it was very, you know, the walls were thin. But living in those apartments with us, um, were Emmy and Felice Sorgue. Some of you have had Dr. Sorgue as your teacher down at, at Houston Baptist University. Well, he and his wife lived there, and they uh, had come from another country to the United States, and we became very good friends, and now we both get to teach down at HBU, and I love Felice. Uh, his name means joy, and he's one of the happiest people I've ever known in my life, and it's because he shares the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere he goes. Well, before long, um, our neighbors next door moved out, and another person moved in. It turned out it wasn't just for married couples, but it was also for graduate students. And he came from another country. Remember, the walls are very thin. And he played very loud, obnoxious music that I did not like. To make matters worse, he was licentious and lascivious. That is, he brought people to his apartment and did things that we didn't want to know about. And before long, he was uh, obnoxious to us, beyond obnoxious to us. And we tried to talk to him, and he didn't want to hear. And to make matters worse, every morning, he stole my newspaper. They would throw the newspaper up over the rail. I would hear it hit the concrete and slide, and I would race for the door, but he was faster than I was. This is a recurring problem, isn't it? And so he would go out, and he would grab my newspaper, and, 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 and I would say to him, and he'd get back in his apartment before I got out there, and I would say, knock on his door, do you have my newspaper? No, I don't have your newspaper. So he wasn't only a, a thief, but he was a liar. And it was just so annoying to me, and I just like, oh man, our neighbor's crazy, and he's driving me crazy. And then one night, thin walls. I heard a knock on his door. I heard a voice I recognized, Ed Whitner, who was the music minister at Columbus Avenue Baptist Church. And Ed came in that house 
and began to talk to my neighbor. And here I am, a pastor. I was the pastor of a church. I lived next door to this man. But God had to bring another minister from our city to tell my neighbor the good news about Jesus Christ. And I listened and I was amazed as my neighbor became a follower of Jesus Christ that night. And here's the joy I felt. He stopped stealing my newspaper because now he believed in Jesus. And he, you know, used to be a thief, but steal no more. Work with your hands so that you can give to other people. But the story for me was, God, why would you have to bring another pastor when I lived right next door to him? And it was just a reminder to me that sometimes we are afraid of others and we get angry at others. Look, we can either shout at those who are different from us or we can show them the light and fulfill Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Because here's what God's doing in our city. He's making His people a light to the Gentiles so that His salvation will come to the ends of the earth. And we can either be part of that and be filled with joy or we can watch God do it and wonder why we weren't a part of that. I read Heather King this week and she talked about church and about going to church. And, and Heather King said, nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people we didn't handpick. The humiliation of discovering that we're thrown in with extremely unpromising people. People who are broken and misguided and wishy-washy out for themselves. People who are us. But we don't come to church to be with people who are like us in the way we want them to be. We come because we've staked our souls on the fact that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And the church is the best place, the only place to be while we all struggle to figure out what that means. We come because we'd be hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals of God, that He loves us or that He loves everyone else. And the good news is he loves us all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing love that found a way to reach us. Thank you for sending your only son and then sending your Holy Spirit to fill us with your joy. And Lord, forgive us for times that we keep that to ourselves. And Lord, help us, I pray, to find a way to share your good news with people who need it the most so that in believing it, they will find the, the same gladness and joy that we have found in relationship with you. We ask this in the only name that is able to save, the name of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.